From National Securities Corporation, it's the Agribusiness Advisor Podcast, where we discuss insights and trends from an investment banking perspective with the investors, corporate leaders, and other stakeholders participating in the industries that grow, process, and market the food that we consume. I'm Ivan Saval, and I oversee the Agribusiness and Food Coverage Group, providing capital markets and financial advisory. All podcast episodes are for informational purposes only and are not to be construed as a solicitation of securities. Any thoughts expressed by myself and or our guests are solely our own and are not those of National Securities Corporation. I'm here with Adam Kuppis with the Iowa Farm Bureau, and he is tasked with looking at uh, investing in uh, early stage companies in ag. And I thought it'd be uh, a really good opportunity to hear from him while he's seeing and uh, uh, just get a better idea and feel for ag tech in general. Um, Adam, thanks very much for uh, agreeing to do the podcast. You know, a good place for us to start where I usually start is with uh, the folks giving a bit of a background of themselves. You know, how did you get to the Farm Bureau? And talk a little bit about why the Farm Bureau is looking uh, at early stage ag uh, investment opportunities. Sure, yeah. So uh, Iowa Farm Bureau has actually, so it's a nonprofit, 501c5. Um, it's started 100 years ago, so we're celebrating our 100th year. You can think of it like here in Iowa, the voice of agriculture. Uh, so that it's a policy-based organization for the most part. Um, but over the course of time, it started an insurance company, which is FBL Financial Group, which is publicly traded, and took that company public and still retains majority ownership of that company. And so that process uh, endowed our balance sheet and allowed us to do some interesting things. And so one of the things that we do is actually directly invest in companies uh, here in Iowa. Think of it like... Uh, 150,000 member families from across the state said that um, one of the important things to them was having jobs for their sons and daughters, right? And one of the ways you do that is by building companies. And Iowa has, for a long time, historically struggled at not just uh, building companies in general, but, you know, sort of high-tech, high-growth kind of companies. We just really haven't had any or many until sort of the last decade or so. We've had a couple success stories now. So um, so anyway, Farm Bureau started doing this a long time ago. The way I got connected is we built a vaccine company. Um, it was called Harris Vaccines. It was a new way, new production platform for making uh, animal vaccines. Um, we took a human technology, applied it to the animal sector, focused on swine and poultry, built some products. Uh, there was a PED, I don't know if you remember that, or swine flu, two major devastating diseases in swine. Uh, we were the first ones to market with a vaccine, and it was all because uh, we basically had a new, our method of producing vaccines was really fast um, compared to everybody else. So, go ahead. Was that an investment through the Iowa Farm Bureau? No, so that was that was a company that we built. So myself, um, my college roommate actually, and his father, who was the PhD DVM, so it was technology that that uh, he had discovered, um, and then we commercialized it, built a company around it, and then the connection is we obviously raised venture capital to get it off the ground, and Farm Bureau was our lead and largest investor throughout the time. So. 
when we sold that company to Merck, they asked me to come and take over the funds. So that's how I got connected. Long story short. Wow, that's, that's very interesting. I didn't realize you had the entrepreneur background. So um, you, know, you, you look at early stage investing, is, is it you're looking at from a loan perspective or are you looking from a, a minority investor or, or are you looking for an active voice controlling type investment? And then, you know, what typical investment sizes are you seeing for these early stage opportunities? Yeah, so here in Iowa, what we do is we do your typical uh, Series A lead investor kind of um, terms. So we're minority preferred, uh, but taking the largest portion of whatever round is, is taking place. Uh, people are coming in alongside of us for the most part, uh, if we let other people in. And the, the only difference is here in Iowa, the round sizes are, are dramatically smaller, I would say, than what you would typically see in city centers or on the coast. Um, so in an average round size, um, our most recent portfolio company that we were a seed investor in, because we happened to go a little early, but um, they did a $5 million Series A. Those are average size rounds for the state of Iowa, for Iowa companies. So, so how, many, uh, how many companies has, has Iowa Farm Bureau invested in, and what's the size of, of capital they've sort of earmarked for this effort? It's $50 million in total. Um, and right now we have 38 and a half of that deployed across 14 companies and then sort of the difference to still deploy. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, mostly ag and ag related ag technology. Um, we've got some healthcare cause it's in sort of a center or an area where I was good at, um, and then biotech kind of intersect. One thing that I've been hearing is that Iowa or Des Moines specifically is becoming sort of a Silicon Valley, uh, the Midwest for uh, agriculture or technology related company investments. Can you talk a little bit about the ag tech cycle? I mean, ag tech is really nothing new in terms of its terminology. If you go back 10 years ago, go back five years ago and look at today, where have you seen the ability uh, to, for ag tech to be deployed and, and general uh, farmer adoption. You go back 10 years ago to 08, the farm economy was actually not that bad, uh, but no capital was flowing because the capital markets were pretty much closed during the Great Recession. Fast forward to 2013, agriculture started going to a down cycle, capital is flowing, but farmers aren't necessarily adopting technology yet. You look at today, we're at a long-term sustained down cycle on the conventional side of agriculture. Perhaps there's more adoption as farmers look to do more with less and turn to technology. And it's a nice confluence of events that capital is still looking for opportunities and now farmers are willing to consider uh, platforms they may not have considered as recently as five years ago. Is that a similar view? And, and if so, can you talk a bit about where the trends are? Are they on the crop inputs? Are they on you know, soil management? Are they the drones? Just whatever you could share with us on the trends would be very interesting. Yeah, so yes, I would agree with that. Uh, if you think about just back to what you originally said, Des Moines and Ames in particular. So Ames has Iowa State. Des Moines is uh, 30 minutes south of Iowa State. You have a lot of expertise and uh, infrastructure already sitting in Ames and slash this corridor. And you really, when you're in either one of these cities or in this corridor, you're 10 minutes from a farm field, tops, right? So your access to your potential customer, to the growers at least, and even the co-ops, the retailers, is, I mean, 
and not, you can't find it anywhere else, right? So we have this concentration of customer base that really, you know, outside of maybe a couple other states, you don't have that anywhere else, right? So yeah, I would say to your second question um, or topic, uh, the ag technology companies that are being built here today versus even five years ago have come to that realization that it makes a ton of sense for them to be here just because they can get out there and they can test their product with an actual farmer, <laughs> you know, uh, during harvest, during whatever they need them for. Um, and they can do it all within a 30 minute drive tops back and forth. Right. So, so yeah, we've, we've sort of, um, you have that factor going on and then, um, you have uh, Ames in particular has now had a couple success stories, so that is encouraging more people to pursue uh, what they want to pursue, and it's also encouraging the capital providers to write more checks. Um, so you have sort of that confluence as well. And then um, bigger picture, you like you were saying, you do. Farmers are interesting, right? They during good times that they spend their money on tractors or new equipment or whatever it might be, whatever piece for their operation that they need during bad times, they figure, they try to figure out just different ways to diversify or to cut costs, right? So what you, where you see adoption occurring is a clear, concise uh, proof, essentially, of an ROI. Like if you can show, take SmartEgg, for example, Automated tractor system, first one on the market. Yes, big OEMs are working on it, but are people buying SmartAg and trying it out? Yeah, they are. And why? Well, because he can show you that if you eliminate that grain cart driver, I save you X amount of money and I only cost X minus Y, right? I, I, only, I cost less, so you should adopt me and the payback's pretty clear. So anytime you can show that, performance livestock analytics is another sort of uh, example um, very clearly defined ROI, very clearly defined value proposition. People are gobbling it up uh, left and right because it's doing that. The people who have problems with adoption are the ones that can't say, uh, you know, use my system or use my technology and it'll pay you back in three months, three years, whatever the time frame is. If they can't answer that question, they struggle. Why Iowa? Would you look at anything outside of Iowa or do you have enough opportunities here in Iowa? Uh, we focus only on Iowa. That's sort of mandated by my investors. That's not just Farm Bureau. That's Walmart. That's other institutions here. But they only invest in companies that are based or impacting Iowa. So we just by mandate sort of ignore everything else doesn't mean we won't try and convince an exciting company from, say, outside of Iowa to come move here if we think it makes sense. And then we can do it, but otherwise we stay to Iowa. And there's plenty of deal flow to support. So if you look at your crystal ball, we can wrap up here, but I'm very curious to know what your, your views are on the biggest tailwinds in the early stage ag tech side. You know, what, what kind of trends are you seeing out there that, that would be interesting for us to think about further? Yeah, I think... I think automation is huge, um, and I think that is going to fundamentally change the way operations uh, are sort of done. I think it's going to fundamentally change the role of the farmer, um, and I think it has the potential to uh, address issues that 
current farmers are facing. So think about labor scarcity in a town of 300. Who are you going to find to drive that green cart if you don't have an immediate family member? Um, you know, that's when automating some of these tasks that otherwise uh, are performed currently by someone, by a person, and reallocating that person to another task, a higher sort of use task uh, for them, that's got big, big changes. And I do think the OEMs are gonna roll that out, but I also think the aftermarket companies are gonna get there first, because that's traditionally how it's always been. Um, and I think it's going to be really interesting to see that sort of unfold, because that's gonna happen here. It's literally starting this fall. There is a company in Iowa that is rolling out commercial-ready automation kits for the green cart function this fall. Some of the bigger questions that they're facing is what does this mean for, let's say, my insurance policy? What does this mean for some of the same other questions that automation cars that Tesla's facing, these guys are facing it today because it's rolling out today. And the answer is kind of not well understood. So. Your early screen, the quick knows what are some high level things that you look for in, a, in an investment opportunity yeah so i mean the, we start with the team and everything flows from there right so um does the team have the knowledge and breadth of what they're trying to do to really pull off what they're saying they're going to pull off um, are they capable of surrounding themselves with other talent and, and managing that talent and moving it in the, the direction that they want it to move uh, and then from there, you sort of you go into the space and the and the problem they're trying to solve. And then, it, you know, is it is it an actual problem? A lot of companies at this stage don't fully understand if what the problem is. Uh, so the quick no is really you don't actually know the problem you're trying to solve. Uh, the quick no would be you don't actually know the market that you're talking about. Um, those are. But I guess to go back to what I was saying earlier, it's. Once you got a really solid either per founder or team, uh, you can begin to peel back the layers of the onion, so to speak, and see just how well they understood what they're trying to do or understand what they're trying to do. And the good ones, you can never seem to find the bottom. It's pretty common across each one or each team. Um, they know far more about it than just about anyone else. And uh, those are the fun ones because you can kind of they just say, I need X to do Y, and you go, oh, okay, <laughs> this is kind of interesting. Let's do that. Very good. Thanks, Adam. Well, I know that you're a busy person, so very much appreciate this conversation, and uh, thank you very much. This discussion has been brought to you by the Agribusiness Advisor Podcast, sponsored by the National Securities Corporation, a full-service investment banking firm member FINRA. Please stay tuned for future conversations with leadership in the agribusiness sectors. If you have comments, questions, please feel free to reach out and we'd love to hear from you. Thank you and here's to next time. Thank you.